in the beautiful West 7th neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota, you're listening to the Capital City Podcast. So I told uh, Jordan that we're preaching on the influence of secular humanism. I'm going to call an audible and talk about the time change instead, because I think it's the closest thing we have in our society to the Tower of Babel and thinking we can manipulate the universe. So... No, we, we are talking about uh, the World Religion series today. And, and, and the question that, um, the, question that the, the religion, and religion isn't the right word, we'll get into it, but the question that the belief system that we're talking about today seeks to answer is, do we need there to be a God in order for people to be good? Or put in another way, perhaps, a more specific way, can we live Christian values without the Christian faith? So we've been talking about major world religions for the last uh, few weeks, the last couple months, and Jordan's been taking us so far through uh, what most people classify as the different major world religions. And what we're talking about today isn't actually classified as a major world religion. For, for one, it's very new and very recent. Um, secular humanism or secularism or humanism, we'll talk a little about that, really has only been around for a few hundred years at most. I mean, maybe you start to see the inklings of the beginning of it, maybe around 400 years ago. But, but as, as a popular movement, probably only the last hundred years has it really been around. And, and even more recently, the last 50 years. But what's happened in that time? I mean, most of the religions we've talked about feel very foreign to us, at least to me, right? Hinduism, Buddhism. I've, I've met people who, who practice Hinduism. I don't really know anything about it. Feels like the you know the the words are foreign to me. The concepts are foreign to me. Even even Judaism uh, is probably feels the most familiar to us for a lot of obvious reasons and good cultural reasons. But but even still, there's still a, a lot about Judaism that that as Christians we just don't know about, and it just feels very foreign. Humanism, on the other hand, as I describe it, it's going to feel very familiar to us, probably the most familiar of anything that, that we'll talk about in this series. And there's reasons for that. Um, it's become so embedded in our culture and in our society that it, it almost doesn't even, uh, it, we almost don't even recognize it by that name. It, it feels strange to me even to stand up here and say I'm going to talk about humanism because really what I'm going to be talking about is uh, the major and dominant belief system in our society today. And most people don't recognize it by that name at all. But the other reason that uh, most scholars don't consider humanism to be a major world religion is that it's not really a religion at all. In fact, if you ask anyone who actually truly identifies as humanist and, and calls themselves humanist, uh, they, they, they'll tell you that it's not a religion. It's actually a, a, a better word might be irreligion is kind of the, the, the term they use. But basically they say this is a, this is a life stance. This is a belief system. It's, it's a philosophy that guides the way I live. It's not religion. We don't have rituals. We don't have rites. We don't compel attendance at anything. Um, that's not what this is. It's just a way of living. So what, what is humanism? Humanism is essentially human, uh, living as human reason and science and natural forces being the basis of morality and rejecting God or the existence of the supernatural. 
And so humanists, like true humanists, will subscribe to a few core tenets underneath that. They, they kind of further define what they mean by, you know, how do we, we live by human reason alone? And, and for, for one of them, there are three that I kind of distilled here that I think are important to remember. And one is the need to test all beliefs, the need to test everything, take nothing for granted, to take nothing by faith. Uh, any, any, you know, the, the important questions of human existence, we need to test them to make sure that we, are ans- that we have the right answer, right? The traditions even, it's not even just answers of, of um, science or physics or this life or the world around us. It, it's, it's questions of society, questions of tradition, the way we do things. We can challenge that. We can challenge our traditions. We can challenge the way that things have been done. Because why are they done this way? We, we need to analyze this for ourselves and not just take it as granted just because it was inherited to us from our families. Like this is something we need to test and decide if I want to adopt this for myself in my life. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Like you don't have to be humanist or even have heard of humanism to, be, to, to know that this is a dominant strain in our culture right now. The need to test beliefs. Also, the use of reason and science to answer all questions, even the questions of human existence. Human reason is sufficient and uh, the only positively true way, a humanist would say, that we can understand ourselves, that we can understand the world around us. But don't be confused this isn't moral relativism. This isn't saying, okay, you know, we don't have God, we don't have the supernatural, so we can do whatever we want. That's not true. From there, they say, with our human reason and these faculties that we have in our brains, we can develop a common and consistent moral code. So humanists don't say, well, I can do whatever I want because there's no God. That's not, that's not humanism. And, and you could even think of uh, atheism. They're very um, technically different, but very, very closely related to each other. Like mo- most of us know at least one atheist and probably dozens, right? They aren't going around killing babies and throwing people into fires and pushing people in front of buses. Like that's just not the way the, the world works, right? There is a moral code. There, there is an ethical stance that they take, but it's based on human reason. And so, some people, especially those who have been in political circles, might, might have heard of something called the non-aggression principle. That's, that's kind of one of these frameworks that people use, which says, you know, I'm a human being. I recognize myself as a human being and, and um, think of like Descartes, I think, therefore I am, right? And so from there, because I can respect my own existence, I can respect the existence of others as well. And that becomes the foundation then of morality. And so somebody who denies the existence of the supernatural would say, okay, if I can, if I can, extrapolate a moral code without, you know, the, this essentially fairy tale, as they would say, then, then why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't this just be the basis of, how, of my life and of how I live? The behaviors are going to be the same. I'm still going to be helping my fellow man. I'm still going to be pursuing justice. And if anything, uh, in humanism, in, in true like capital H humanism, they emphasize justice probably much more than most Christians do, frankly. Um, this is this is a a, uh, a big uh, force that guides their lives as we are pursuing what they call human flourishing. If humanity is all there is, if this life is all there is, 
we ought to make it as good as possible here, which means promoting fairness and justice and rising up, you know, lifting up the, the, the worst off among us, right? So the, the, this, this is far from, you know, immoral or amoral living. The, quite, quite the contrary, this is very, very, very morally guided. But the foundation of the morality and the source of the morality is very different than what we might find, even though they tend to land at very similar, often, uh, endpoints and conclusions as we do. So it looks almost the same. And it looks almost as if uh, a, a humanist is living Christian values, right? And so then they say, do, can we live Christian values without the Christian faith? Do we even need Christian faith? Now, Christians have been warning about what they call secular humanism. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the term secular humanism, by the way, because it comes with, it, it's, it's loaded. Like it comes with all this baggage. Um, Christians, by the way, are the ones who toined, coined the term secular humanism um, back in the 30s and 40s when this movement began to gain steam. Um, Christians were, were the ones who were starting to sound the alarm saying, hey, you know, throughout most of our uh, history, at least here in the West, our enemy, the enemies of Christianity have been, you know, uh, Muslims or Jews, or if you're Catholics, Protestants, or if you're Protestants, Catholics, right? Like, like our enemies have been other religions, but, but no, something's happening here. Suddenly there's this movement of unbelief, and this is new, this is unprecedented throughout human history that people can just not believe in anything, in no religion, and they're starting to sound the alarm and saying, and they give it this name, secular humanism. Secular humanism is, is dangerous. It's the boogeyman now, right? This is what we need to focus our, our, uh, our intellectual efforts against, uh, on defending our faith against. And a lot of Christian apologetics in the last 50 years have been focused on just going back to the question, how do we prove the existence of God? Or how do we provide evidence for the existence of God, right? It's no longer, how, uh, you know, when we talked about Hebrews, for example, earlier, um, saying how, you know, Jesus is better than what you had in Judaism. That's no longer the question anymore. It's no longer why this religion is better than that religion. It's now, wait, there is religion and it is good and there is a God. That's where we focused our efforts. And... To the kind, you know, on the converse too, um, some Christian apologists have been on the on the offense as well, you know, painting a certain uh, uh, boogeyman picture of what they call secular humanism or secular humanists, right? So that we as Christians in our mind just remember that's the enemy. We don't go there. We don't become like those people over there. And if you've been in the church or you've been a Christian for longer than twenty years. Um, and maybe you haven't heard the, the term exactly secular humanism, but you've probably heard atheism, right? They, those atheists, those secular humanists. And, and that's, that's the attitude that we have now it, culturally as, as you know, American Christians, as Western Christians that we have towards this movement because it very quickly and very suddenly and surprisingly actually became uh, our enemy, so to speak, the obstacle to the growth of our religion. And so... We've, we've got a lot of these, um, you know, the arguments that have been made against secular humanism are, um, well, most of them are bad arguments, I'll say that first of all. But even there are a few good ones. 
Um, but it's tired, right? We've we've probably heard them all by now. Like, you know, what why people say there's there's a God. We've heard arguments for it. We've heard arguments against it. Uh, you're you're if you're sitting in these pews, you're probably past that point, frankly. Or if you're not, you've got plenty of resources. Uh, and so that's not really what I want to talk about. Is saying no, don't worry about those secular humanists because there is a God. No. I'm, I want to talk a little bit past this and say that I actually think we're beyond that point. And that secular humanism has influenced our culture so much that it's actually influenced our own faith. And I want us to look inside a little bit to see how secularism, humanism, uh, how, this, how, how the tenets of this movement have seeped into what we believe and how that's influenced us for the better or for the worse. So the question, do we need there to be a God for there to be good? What does a Christian say to that? And uh, there's probably a lot of good answers. There's probably a lot of bad, bad answers too. The one, the one that I would give is that it's the wrong question. It's performance-based. What do I need to do to be good? Do I need there to be a God to be good? It reminds me of the question... Um, from the Gospels, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, right? Because it's, it's a ridiculous question. You do nothing to inherit something, right? It has nothing to do with you, except for unless uh, you've got inheritance powder, which is in murder mysteries, what they call arsenic, right? Because then you, then you can speed that process up a little bit, but that's besides the point. What can you do to inherit something? Nothing, right? And so the question is the wrong question, would say a Christian, right? So we don't, we don't focus on what we, you know, whether or not we need there to be a God to be good because our focus isn't on, well, I need to be good because that's not, that's not what the Christian life is about. Though that is culturally a little bit of what it's become, hasn't it? It's gone from, well, this relationship, this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this love story, this cosmic love story, it's gone from that to, how do I enact the correct behavior in my life to get the good things that I want later? And that's become the, the story of religion and story of Christianity here. And, and uh, in some sense, we've empowered the secular move, movement by making Christianity about our performance or about our behavior because now suddenly we've opened up that question even to, even to, be, even to be asked at all. But I also don't want to focus on secular humanism um, and it specifically itself just because, um, just because it's, it's tired and the defenses are tired and, and well-worn. Also because probably most people you know don't identify as humanist. They, they maybe have probably never even heard of the word, right? Most people don't identify as atheist, exactly atheist, and say they know for sure there's no God. Most people don't do that. And why not? Because we live in a world that's dominated by science and reason. In fact, science and reason have given us most of what we have. Like most of the material advances that we've experienced. I mean, just think about the last hundred years, let alone the last 500 years, just how different the world is. And it's because of science and reason and us being able to unlock essentially the secrets of the universe through specific you know, advances and discoveries. So why, why is it that we aren't then making the leap from, you know, science and prosperity to, to you know, 
we don't need religion and faith anymore. What's preventing us as a society, as a culture from making that leap? Because it would seem so natural. And for a long time, sociologists thought that was exactly the direction the world was going to go, that religion would actually become obsolete. Uh, very soon, you know, like by now. <laughs> and it didn't happen, and it hasn't happened, and why not? And there's a couple good reasons for that. One is that we all have a haunting or a hunger inside ourselves that just tells us that there is something more. There is a supernatural, and you might not be able to put your finger on it, and you might tell yourself in your head over and over again, it's not true, it's not true, but there's something inside of ourselves that desires for transcendence, that wants more, that wants meaning. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen American Beauty. Or, <laughs> or any movie like it, but it's, it's, you realize that absent the supernatural, absent the transcendent, let's, let's say that, absent the transcendent in our lives, our lives lack meaning. And we'll try to find meaning in other places. If it's not in religion, it will come elsewhere. And, and we've seen that happen. I mean, just look at, um, you know, some of the movements that have come up um, Worship of, worship of nature is, is exploding, and it's not by people who identify as Wiccan or pagan. It's, it's just become a part of our regular culture. And, and hear what I mean. Uh, how many people know somebody who has crystals? Right. It's, so the, probably half the room. All right. How many people know somebody who talks about the universe with a capital U? The universe once the universe will give me good things, the universe will guide me, the universe will tell me where to go, all right? How many people know someone who talks about energies? This is good energies, bad energies. Send me good energies, send me bad energies. I've got bad energies about this. I've got some energies about that. These are all, uh, this is all evidence of people's desire for the transcendent. But what's curious about this language? None of it is supernatural. It's all natural. The universe, that's a natural phenomenon. The universe exists. It's here. It's natural. We're in it. We are it, right? Um, the energy, that's a natural phenomenon. We can measure energy, right? We can, well, we try to, right? We try to understand energy, but we know it's physical. We know it's a real thing that, that is naturally exists and we can measure it, right? Crystals, you know, whether or not you, you believe they do anything, the fact is the crystal's there. It's real. It's a real thing, right? And so, People are assigning now these transcendentic or the, the supernatural properties to, to natural things because even though they can't intellectually get themselves to believe anymore that there is a supernatural, because that would mean, you know, well, then, then I have to be religious or something, right? But they still want it, remember? And our, our emotions guide how we think. We are always justifying our emotions backwards, right? It always goes backwards. We always think that we start with our head and we don't. And you've heard this before and you know it. All our decisions start with our emotions and we always justify them later, right? And sometimes it's, it's, it's a blink later, but, some, but it is later, right? And so people who in their head have, have come to reject the supernatural because of the influence of humanism in our culture, still understand that there is a supernatural. And so how do they rationalize that for themselves? How do they bring those back together? They assign supernatural properties to natural things. And we talk about energies and we talk about the universe and we talk about good vibes, right? 
And for people who don't do those things, maybe so explicitly, we're still finding causes or societies or groups that become basically religious, right? Um, think about justice, right? I talked about justice, how that's a, that is one of the core tenets of humanism. Now, Christians believe very strongly in justice. It is one of Christianity's core tenets as well. But think about for those who are not um, Christians. Think about for those who are not religious at all. And yet, um, how do they hold on to issues of justice? Think about what happens if you run afoul of culture's definition of justice. What happens to those people, especially public personas, right? People are talking about cancel culture. Now, now that Elon Musk has bought Twitter, now everyone's talking about cancel culture and what's going to change, right? I mean, this, this is a phenomenon that we understand that with religious fervor, with religious passion, non-religious people are pursuing justice. And if you run afoul of their definition of justice, you, will, you essentially are committing you know, heresy. That's blasphemous. And you'll be tossed out of the village because that's what we do with blasphemous people, right? You got to get the blasphemy out of here. And it's not just, you know, politics and justice, right? Um, so uh, I like to pick on because I have done CrossFit. CrossFit's, CrossFit's religious. It is, right? The big joke is, how do you know if someone's doing CrossFit? You don't have to. They'll tell you, right? Don't worry. They'll tell you because people love CrossFit. I love CrossFit too, right? It's, it's a lot of fun and it is a lot of fun. But people who don't have a religious community. They don't have more meaning in their lives. They don't have something transcendental that they can attach to. They find it in a community like CrossFit or whatever it is they're doing, right? CrossFit isn't the only one like this, but they find it in these small communities where suddenly they have found meaning in their life that they didn't have before and they pursue it with religious passion. I mean, the people, like when I did CrossFit, I did it casually. Um, it was still a lot of fun and I still love it. But, but there are people there who, who have achieved uh, feats of human strength that, uh, that I can't fathom, right? But in, in, and the truth is probably most of us in this room could achieve those same things if we applied ourselves to CrossFit or whatever it is, the same way that those people did. And why, what drives them to pursue it so strongly, so wildly? Because it's their religion. Now they don't say that, right? This isn't the language they're using, but this, this is what's happening, right? If we think about um, passion and belief in something transcendental as something that's religious, right? Uh, religiously um, defending a certain position, religiously attending certain events, religiously applying yourself to certain pursuits. That's what happened. We still see it happening all over the place in the absence of what we might call organized religion. It's still there. It's still there. Because without it, we feel the hunger. We feel this existential threat inside of us. It's like, you need it. You need it and you know you need it. And life without it, it's boring. It's flat. It's meaningless. And so what's happened is the spiritualization, you could call it, of natural things. And that's part of this influence that we see of the secular age in our world. In a world that says, you know, we don't need religion anymore people are still now needing to find something to fill that hunger. But what's, what more 
have we noticed from this is not just the spiritualization of the natural. I'd say we need to look at ourselves as well because Christianity and, and especially here in the West or in, within our churches is not immune from this influence. And I think what we've seen also is the naturalization of the spiritual or the de-spiritualization of the divine, you could say. And some do this explicitly. How many are familiar with the uh, Unitarian Universalists? They are a... Um, they were a Christian denomination. They now are now explicitly not a Christian denomination, but they have their roots in, in Christian Protestantism. They, they were a Protestant denomination up till about 50 years ago. And then they explicitly adopted, and, and they used capital H, humanist principles. Um, and now they are explicitly a pluralist belief system, a pluralist religion. Uh, you know, about 5% of uh, universalists are Christian and most, most actually identify as humanist or some other religion. They're about as Christian now as the YMCA, right? But it's happened, you know, it's happened not just in some of the denominations that have ex explicitly rejected um, their Christian identity, but it's happening in those that still retain it. And think about um, some mainline um, Protestant denominations now as well. And, and I can remember vividly um, um, going to a meeting with the head of a, of a local mainline denomination here. Um, think, think like bishop level um, within their organization. And, and um, I was there to appeal to this person, this head, to hold on to moral tenets that are core to what we believe as Christians. And some of you know my story and you know why I would have been in that meeting, right? These are things we hold dear. And I was appealing to scripture, right? This is a reformed, um, this was a reformed leader, right? Someone who, who is Protestant in the Reformation, right? B believes all of that theology. And I was appealing to scripture. I was saying, look, this is what scripture says. This is what scripture says. And this is, this is why this is important. This is why it's important to hold on to this. And the answer was, but there are other books. And that was the answer I got. I was saying, but this is what the Bible says. And the answer was, but there are other books. And these are from people who take their um, history, if you will, from, from Martin Luther, who said, but there are other books. It's not just scripture. Some denominations have explicitly now added in, in their statements saying, you know, um, Jesus was a good teacher who came here to teach us how to live good values and a good life. That's essentially humanism coming into Christianity. But what about in our own churches, like right here? What about in Christianity that has not started to reject the core of the Christian faith? What about those who still hold on to it and are trying to hold on to it? What about doubt? How has doubt influenced us? How have we begun to acquiesce perhaps to society's religious demands in what we say or don't say, what we're willing to say or not say, how we're willing to preach or how we're not willing to preach or evangelize people, right? What about the emphasis on the natural or on human reason? How has that resulted in, let's say, um, we'll call it demystification of our religion? Look at where we are now, right? This, was, this church was built in the 50s, I believe. I thought I saw that downstairs, right? And that was kind of like when this whole movement was, you know, it doesn't matter where we worship. We can worship anywhere because God is, you know, spirit and it doesn't matter, you know, the, whatever. Um, but what have we lost in that as well when we lost the liturgy, when we lost 
painted ceilings, when we lost big stained glass windows. And we started taking it in. This is going to sound like I'm criticizing our church. I'm not. I'm just providing food for thought here. And this is good food for thought that, you know, what happened when we started sending the kids downstairs because they couldn't handle intellectual sermons? And when did the sermons become so intellectual that kids couldn't handle them anymore? And when did intellect become more important than the heart? And think about how this started rolling many hundreds of years ago from the influence of reason is more important than other ways of knowing. And how the influence of secularism and humanism has now come into our own religion and the way we practice it as well. Is it good or bad? I don't know. But we see the fingerprints of it even in ourselves because we are products of our culture. We are, we just are because we are social beings. So it's good to know these things. It's good to see them. And then wonder, is it good or not? I don't know. But these are some of the ways that we see the influence of secularism even in ourselves, right? The result is, as Christians, we tend not to believe in miracles anymore. Or we say we do, but how many, have seen, how many of us have seen one, really? Or experienced one? Or been the conduit to enact one of God's miracles? I, I haven't. But the early church did. What's different? I don't know. A lot of people have thought about that question, right? We've seemed to lost some of the elements of the transcendental, of the sublime, of the mysterious. I remember being uh, severely embarrassed for Christians when uh, at Bethel Reading, and you can have opinions on Bethel Reading, everyone does, right? But everyone likes their music anyway. It's like Chick-fil-A. You know, you can have opinions on Chick-fil-A, but you still like their chicken sandwich, right? There you go. But, um, but at Bethel, like, uh, was it a couple years ago? Uh, very tragic. Uh, um, some leaders in that church, their daughter died young. And, and as a church, they began to pray for their daughter to be resurrected from the dead. And my response, I admit, confess right here, is I was embarrassed. And I'm like, that's embarrassing because it's not going to happen. That child is not going to raise from the dead. And the sooner they accept that and the sooner they can accept, you know, begin their grieving process and move on from this tragedy. That was my attitude. I was embarrassed for Christians that they were doing that. Isn't that terrible? I mean, frankly, you can tell me I'm terrible. But really, because think about it. Jesus has the power to raise people from the dead. He does. And it happened. It happened at least twice if you read the scriptures, right? But it happens more than that. It happens all over the world. We hear about it happening in Africa and in Asia. Miracles happen. Why are they happening there and they're not happening here? What's different about the culture in Africa and Asia and what they believe about science and reason, let's say, and what's different than here and what we believe about it? Science and reason are great. We need them. We absolutely need them. Um, the, it, it's, it's how God is revealing to us the secrets of the universe. It's, it's amazing and totally wonderful. But where have we forgotten that there are other ways of knowing too, that there are other ways of living? And what have we lost along the way? So those are the questions that I'm posing. I don't have any answers. I don't have any like neat way to wrap this up. I'm sorry. But I just had questions. I wanted to talk about the influence of secularism on our society and the influence of secularism in our own churches, in our own faith. And just provide that as, as a starting point for you to start to think about and start not accept 
our culture as a given, right? So t- take this, test, test everything, say, say the humanists, right? So test this, test the way we, we live, test the way we understand church, test the way we understand Christianity, not to deconstruct it and leave it that way. And uh, we, people got opinions about deconstruction too. But we can talk about that later. But I'm just saying to understand what do we have that's good and what do we not have that maybe we've lost and let that guide us forward. Thanks, that's all I got. We'll meet downstairs for, uh, for refreshments. We can pray. Bree says we should pray. I say we should pray. Normally we wrap it up really tidy and we're like, yeah, let's pray. That's a, that's a neat spot to pray. And here I'm like, honestly, I'm leaving this super open-ended. I don't know how to pray out of this. So maybe that's a good thing. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for questions, right? Thank you that you've given us human faculties, this reason, this, this science, that we can explore questions like this and we can, we can probe the depths of the mysteries that you've given us. Uh, I, I love it. I have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I think most of us do. <laughs> um, and, and thank you that, that we are human, that we're products of society, that we're products of culture. Because, you know, we, even though we're, we're called to be citizens of heaven, um, this life is a good life too. And thank you that you've given it to us. I mean, you certainly thought so. You became human, right? But show us what it means. Show us what we've lost, what we can get back. Show us how to be closer to you. That's what this is about. Show us how to be closer to you in this. We love you. Amen. This is a project of the Capital City Church in the West 7th community of St. Paul, Minnesota. Find us on Instagram at Capital City Church STP or visit our website for more information at capitalcitystpaul.com.